sleeping in the boat, and um, the disciples were freaking out because there was a lot, a big storm going on that really scared them, and and so he, uh, Jesus woke up, they woke him up, and he rebuked the, the wind and the storms and the waves, and so he showed how he is sovereign over nature, and then he went and he cast out demons out from a man, showing his uh, power and sovereignty over even demons. And today, in Luke 8, uh, we're going to start in verse 40. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some Bibles in the back here, um, and so you can follow along in the text as we go. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that with you. It's our gift to you. We want uh, you to have that so you can study with us the scriptures. Um, and so this week we're going we're gonna to pick up and we're going to continue to see uh, Christ's power over this time over disease and over even death. And so let's uh, jump into verse 40 of chapter 8. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And so uh, when, if you remember back to last week, so Jesus cast the demons out of that one man. He cast them into a herd of pigs and they ran into the sea. Really kind of weird. Um, but that's what he did and that's what the demons wanted him to do. So he, he allowed that to happen. And so uh, when the people of the garrison saw this happen, it really frightened them and they asked Jesus to leave. And so they get back in the boat and they sail back to Galilee. And as the text says, they were all waiting for him there. And so, I mean, that's true in our lives today, right? We know people who they see God's hand, they see God working in their life, and it really frightens them, it scares them. They they basically reject Jesus. They want him to leave. And then you have other people who, when they see God's work and God's power, they welcome it and they're waiting for it to to see him do more. And so, uh, verse 41, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. And so Jairus, this man, had had authority. It said he was a ruler of the synagogue. And what this meant was that... uh, so he was sort of like an elder. We have Pastor Scott and Pastor Ben who are elders of this church. And, and in that time period, there weren't as many churches uh, there as we have today. So we have, you know, all kinds of churches in Greenville. Well, in Galilee, there was, you know, there was not that many. And so this guy had a lot of authority and he was well known in the community. And for him to fall down at Jesus' feet and implored him, he begged him to come to his house. This, this didn't happen. Uh, this, this was a great act of humility on the part of this ruler of the synagogue uh, because they, they had to keep a, a certain you know, picture. They had to look a certain way and be a certain way. Well, this guy said no. Um, he fell and begged Jesus to come to his house. And why did he do that? Uh, verse 42, For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And so he begged Jesus to come to his house because he had this precious daughter, an only daughter, who was about 12. And what, you're, what we're going to see today in this text is Luke, the, the author who wrote this letter, um, he's going to give us all these kind of details about this story that heighten our suspense, that make, it, um, make us think, oh man, really? And so one of these details is that it's this man's only daughter. Now in this time period, you wanted to have a lot of children because a lot of times it was good to have the extra help. And children are just a blessing. And so uh, this man likely wanted to have more kids, but for whatever reason, it, it appears they couldn't. And so it's his only precious daughter, and it says that she was about 12 years of age. And in this time period, that was about the time that uh, women were preparing to get married. Now that sounds crazy today, right? 
Um, I can't imagine a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl uh, being married to someone. Uh, that's kind of wild for me to think about. But uh, for whatever reason, girls were more mature back then. And so, uh, I don't know, they were getting... I mean, I wouldn't be ready to be married at 12 either. But, um, and so... Uh, not only is it Jairus' only daughter, but she was about to get married. So imagine, um, men, you had a daughter, and she was 21, 22 years old, she, you know, senior in college, dating a nice guy, maybe talking about being, getting engaged sometime soon, and she was about to die. She was dying. Think about what that feels like for Jairus. And so it makes sense. Of course he's going to go and fall at Jesus' feet and beg him to come to his house because he knows that this man is, has healed people before. And so he goes to Jesus and asks him to heal. And so uh, we continue reading in verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So apparently Jesus you know, said, yeah, I'm going to go. And so they, they started to go to Jairus' house. And then it says the people pressed around him. Uh, Luke sets up this picture of the crowd. Uh, the crowd is something that's talked about all throughout that we've seen through the book of Luke so far. It's talking about the crowd, the crowd. And, and in, this, in this story, the crowd is, they set the scene with the crowd in a really good light. You know, they're sitting there waiting to hear what Jesus has to say. So it paints a really nice picture of them. But then it says in verse 42 that the people pressed around him. The word pressed here has been used earlier in this chapter talking about, do you remember the, the parable of the sower and the seed? And the sower was, you know, spreading his seed out and one, there's the four different soils. Well, one of the soils was crushed by the thorns. Um, that word is the same word here. So the crowd is crushing Jesus. And you, do you remember from that parable, that's not really a good thing that the thorns crush the seeds. And so uh, this isn't really a good picture that is being painted here of the crowd. Verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And so in this crowd of people, there's this one woman who uh, had a discharge of blood. Now, this is probably uh, her menstrual flow. Um, so, and she had it for 12 years. Uh, ladies, imagine being on your period for 12 years. What kind of agony that would be. Uh, Husbands, imagine your wife being on her period for 12 years. Um, that has, I mean, just all kinds of bad things that go along with it. Uh, and that's what this woman experienced. Uh, she has been sick as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. Um, again, this is just another one of those little details that Luke is giving us to say, geez, her situation is dire. And so she has also heard that Jesus heals people, and so she comes to him. Uh, and you have to know that for, for her to be discharging blood for that long, that would make her ceremonially unclean. So she, she couldn't go to church. She couldn't be around people. Because if she touched someone else, that would make them unclean as well. And so she's been cast out of her community for 12 years. She hasn't had Christian community in her life. Now, um, imagine what that would be like. Uh, at Integrity, life groups are incredibly important. Um, if you're a regular attender here, if you've been here a few weeks, a month, and you, you want to continue coming here, and you're not in a life group, uh, you, really need, you really need to be in one. Um, this woman was you know, cast out of her community, missing Christian community, uh, and you're not. Um, so come to a life group. It's, it's a vital part of the body. Um, that's a little plug for life groups. 
And again, Luke continues to heighten the suspense of this situation. Though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could be healed by no one. So she's, she's going around to all the, the, the doctors that she's heard of, and they, she, spends, you know, she pays them money, whatever the, the things that might be that they try to heal her with. She just she isn't healed. So for 12 years, all of her money, she's broke. She comes to Jesus because she's heard that he can heal. Verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So she comes up behind him. She didn't want him necessarily to see her because uh, she knows she wanted to be close to him because she knew that he could heal her. And so she comes up behind him and touches the edge of his garment, and she is immediately healed. That what she's spent 12 years and all of her life savings on trying to fix of her body is fixed by one brief touch by because he has the power, right? And this, this wasn't, you have to understand, this wasn't like a, his, his jacket is really magical. And if I could only get his jacket, I would be healed and I would be rich or whatever. No, everyone is touching Jesus, right? And so if it was just magic, then everyone touching him would be healed or, you know, would have all these whatever good things happen to him. But she had faith that Jesus could heal her. And so when she touched his garment, she was healed because of her faith. And we'll learn that later. Jesus will say that to her uh, later on in this passage. Verse 45. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, so do you think... So Jesus is asking this question. Who touched me? Um, and then he insists. Peter's like, uh, Jesus, uh, these people are crushing you. Uh, do you really think that we could tell you who you I mean, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? And he, he continues to insist. No, someone touched me because I perceive that power has gone out from me. So do you think Jesus was asking this question? Do you think he didn't know? Um, I don't know why he wouldn't have known, but maybe he, he didn't. Um, well, there's this, there's this big word, it's, it's hermeneutics. It's basically the study of the Bible. And there's rules for how you're supposed to study it. And one of these rules is let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so when we come to a difficult part of the Bible, uh, we, if, we, if we don't understand it, what we, what we should do to better understand it is to look in other places in the Bible that talk about the same topic. Uh, we believe the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. So it's truth. It's God's word to us. But there are parts of it that are difficult to understand. I mean, Peter, the, you know, one of the apostles, says that about Paul's writing. You know, this is difficult to understand. And so what we do to better understand it is look to other places that, that talk more clearly about that same topic. Well, you can look at other places, even in the Gospels, about Jesus. And does he know everything? Yes, like, you know, you think of John, in the book of John, you know, Jesus goes to the well and sees the woman there, and he tells her everything that she had ever done. She, he knew that she's been married and divorced five times, and that the guy she's shacking up with right now isn't, you know, her husband, and so she's in sin. And so she goes back and tells everyone, hey, this guy, he told me everything I've ever done wrong, and come back. And so the whole, you know, a ton of the town believed in Jesus. And so Jesus displays that he knows everything in that situation. So we know that he's not literally asking, who touched me? I don't know who it was. But he's doing it for a specific purpose. 
And we'll see that as we read on in verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden. So she knew that she couldn't hide from Jesus, right? She, she, she saw him asking the crowd and she knew, oh man, the jig is up. I'm, I'm found out. He knows it was me. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Okay, so this is why Jesus asked the question. He was setting her up to have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim what God had done in her life. This word declared, um, well, first of all, she came trembling, so she was afraid. What was she afraid of? Well, by touching him, even by touching, touching his coat, uh, by the Jewish law, by the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, that would have made him unclean as well. So she was afraid probably that, man, he might be angry that I've made him unclean, and you know, he'd be justified in that because that then he'd have to go through all these rituals to be made clean again before he could go to church. And so she's afraid, and so she comes trembling and falling down before him. Again, an act of humility, just like Jairus did earlier in the passage. And declared in the presence of all the people. This word declared. That's the same word that's used of people who, when they proclaim the gospel, when they preach the gospel to people. So he was setting her up to have the opportunity to preach what God had done in her life. To tell her testimony about what God had done in her life. And so that's why Jesus was asking the question. Don't misunderstand that he doesn't know. We, we know that Jesus knows everything. Um, and so he, he was asking that for a specific purpose. Verse uh, 48. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so he, he, he reassures her. You know, she's trembling. She's so afraid about what his reaction might be. She knows that she's been healed, but he still might be angry. And he, when he talks to her, he, say, he calls her daughter. This, this is a really reassuring term. It's like, daughter, calm down. Daughter, it's okay. It's a term of endearment. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's not just because she touched him. It's not that his jacket was magical. But she had the faith that Jesus could heal her. And that's why she was made well. And that's what Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so he's telling her, go, be in community, live in peace. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Well, I kind of forgot about Jairus, right? I mean, he's, he opens up this story and says, Jesus, come to my house. My only daughter, who's getting ready to get married, is going to die. And so they go, and then this, you know, there's this interruption here. It's like, it's as if they were getting into, you know, Jairus is driving the ambulance, and Jesus is in the passenger seat, and they're racing. They have the lights on, the siren going, and they're racing to see Jairus' daughter. And then this woman hops out and flags the, the ambulance down, and so, you know, can, can you heal me? And, and so Jesus gets out and spends some time talking with her. It's like, if you think about it, you know, what's more important? This woman who's been sick for 12 years or this 12-year-old woman, girl who's about to die? I mean, she's been sick for 12 years. She's probably going to live another day, right? So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would stop, spend time with this, little, with this woman and heal her. But guys, and, and this isn't the main point of this message, but it's in, it's in here. We can't look by it. God's timing isn't our timing. When, you know, maybe you're waiting for a job 
or maybe you're waiting for a spouse and you're just like, God, please, come on, why are you taking so long to give me this thing? It, may, it might be because God's waiting to show you his glory. And he, he's waiting to show you even something more miraculous like we're going to see in this passage. In verse 49, when the man says, your daughter's dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's, this is a statement by this man, and what he's saying is this. Hey, Jairus, man, your, your daughter's dead. Um, don't bother Jesus anymore. He, doesn't, he can't raise people from the dead. I mean, he, he could heal her, yeah, we just saw him heal someone else, but I mean, he, he can't raise her up from the dead. Um, and that, that's, what this, that's what this servant is communicating verse 50 but Jesus on hearing this answered him do not fear only believe and she will be well so Jesus is reassuring Jairus hey don't listen to him he he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about Uh, I'm the son of God I'm Jesus I can do whatever I want Um, so don't be afraid only believe only believe that he has the power to heal if he chooses and so he's reassuring him and she will be well verse 51 and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. So Jesus has, there's these, these groups of people that he ministers to. He, we have the crowd that we talked about earlier. Uh, these are massive amounts of people. Later on in the book of Luke, we'll see that Jesus feeds 5,000 men. So it's a group of probably like twelve or 15,000 people. He feeds them with like a couple fish and a, a loaf of bread. Um, and so there's these massive amount of people that he ministers to, but then there's this smaller group of people that he ministers to, and that's his 12 disciples. And so he spends all of his time with them. He travels with them, and he pours his life into those 12 men. Uh, but then even in those 12, there's a group of three that he specifically points out among those 12, and he, he really pours his life into. And, and later on, we'll see that he takes them up on this mountain. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And um, we'll get to that eventually, but he, he singles these three men out because he's really pouring himself into them. And, and so it, it, it's significant because this is the first time uh, in the book of Luke that this is mentioned. Verse 52, And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he, Jesus, said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And so in this time period when someone died, the whole town would come to their house and weep and mourn with them. And this was their way of bearing each other's burdens and being there for each other and being in community together was that when someone died, they would come around each other and support one another. And this only happened when it was sure someone was dead. Um, This girl, you know, she wasn't in a coma. Uh, She wasn't blacked out. She wasn't sleeping. She was dead. Uh, The mourners were there. And we'll continue to see Jesus pointing out that she really is dead. She's not in a coma. Um, But everyone was around. And so Jesus tells everyone, don't weep, for she's not dead, but she's sleeping. Um, We know that she's dead, and we'll continue to see that she's really dead. But why does Jesus say that she's sleeping? Uh, Well, sleep is a euphemism for death, and it's used throughout the Bible. Uh, We see, you know, so-and-so has gone to sleep. um, And it's a way of saying they're dead. It's it's sort of a softer way of saying that they have died. Um, But why does Jesus say that she's not dead? but that she's sleeping. Well, we're all going to die. But at the last day, the day of judgment, that's talked about very often in the Bible, um, we're all going to be raised from the dead. And that's 
people who don't know Jesus and people who do know Jesus. We're all going to be raised from the dead, and then God's going to judge. And he's going to judge you on whether you know his son, Jesus, or not. Um, And so we're all, when we die, we're all really sleeping because we know we're going to be raised back up again. And so that's why Jesus says that she's but sleeping, and um, we'll continue to see his sort of play in words there. Verse 53, and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. So when we first saw the crowd in this, in this story, they were really good. They're eagerly waiting to hear what Jesus had to say. And then they're pressing and crushing in on him, uh, which isn't a really great picture. And then um, they're laughing at him. And this isn't like, Jesus, that was a hilarious joke, laugh. This was a derisive, or they're ridiculing him. And so they're saying, oh, you, you're crazy. That, that's the sort of picture that's being painted here. Because they knew that she was dead. Verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. So he took her by the hand, and again, this would have made him unclean. But he doesn't care because he's, he's about to help her up. Um, and, and it says that uh, he called, saying this, you know, so he, this word, it doesn't mean that he kind of whispered or he just spoke, but he, he called as if uh, it was a child who was taking a nap. And he's calling her awake. And he says, child, arise. This is, again, uh, a term of endearment. It's like he's saying, it's like sweetie or honey. So it's like, honey, get up. Uh, Arise. It's time to wake up. And so he grabs her hand and tells her to wake up and helps her up out of death, out of sleep. Verse 55, and her spirit returned and she got up at once. So Luke is telling us she was dead. She wasn't in a coma. She wasn't merely sleeping. No, she was dead because her spirit was gone and had now returned. And in this time period, the spirit was the part of our body that lived on past death. And so our body is going to eventually one day quit working, but our spirit is going to continue on. And this little girl's spirit returned back to her after Jesus called her out of death. And she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. So Luke and Jesus want to make sure that no one's misunderstanding this. This girl, she's not a hallucination. She's not uh, a ghost. She's, this was the literal girl that was dead that is now alive again. So much so that I, Jesus is saying, I want to prove it to you. Give her something to eat. So this is her literal body. This is her self. Verse 56, and her parents were amazed. Duh. I mean, she's, she's alive again. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is, this, that little phrase is a little hard to understand. Uh, we think back to last week. Um, Jesus cast the demons out of this man. And, then he tell, and the man asked, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus tells the man, no, you may not. But go return from where you came and tell everyone what God has done for you. And then Jesus heals this woman, and he sets her up to tell everyone what God had done for her. But then this, this little girl is raised from the dead, and Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone what happened. This is sort of hard to understand. Well, I mean, many of you are Christians in here, and you know that the Christian life is not easy. It's, it's not and we go through difficult times, and, and Jesus himself said that, you know, your life won't be easy. And if the only thing that was ever talked about Jesus was that if you're sick, he'll make you well. If you have a child who dies, he'll raise him from the dead. 
Um, if you're poor, he'll give you money. Uh, this is not the picture that Jesus wants to paint. It, it, it's just the opposite, actually. Uh, you, you can remember the rich young ruler uh, is another story in the Gospels. And it's this rich man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, well, um, you know, don't steal, you don't lie, um, and don't commit adultery. And, and this man says, well, I've never done this thing since my birth. I'm, I'm solid. I'm good. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, well, go ahead and sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And so he leaves. And that's the picture of the Christian life. Jesus says, take up your cross, your instrument of torture and death, and follow me. The Christian life isn't easy. Jesus himself said, um, blessed, and we talked about it uh, you know, in the last couple months, blessed are you when people persecute you and speak ill of you. It's going to happen. I have, I have this quote that I want to read to you guys. Excessive focus on his works of power will undermine the type of commitment he will ask from people. And so if the only thing that people know about the Christian life is that it's easy, people are going to be confronted with the, the hard truth that no, m the majority of the disciples who followed Jesus were killed because of their faith. And, you know, in America it's not that way. You know, we can worship freely and thank God for that, but um, our Christian life isn't easy. And when we undercome persecution, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. So that's why Jesus tells them, uh, don't tell anyone what happened. And so the point of both of these stories is that Jesus has power. You're, this is a, these two stories are a continuation of what we studied last week, that Jesus is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over demons. He's sovereign over disease. And he's even sovereign over death. Now, both of these, these girls, this, the woman and then um, the little girl, were both healed and, and well, one was healed and one was resurrected because of the faith that they had. Now, a lot of churches and a lot of preachers will tell you that uh, if you have faith, you'll be made well. And, and um, they preach this, and if you're sick, if you're going through something difficult, uh, and you're not being made well, and you're not getting better, they'll tell you, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. And they'll point to passages like these and say, well, see, these two people, they had faith, so they were made well. Um, guys, and thinking about this, uh, I got so angry this week because uh, you can have all the faith in the world, but that doesn't mean that you'll get better, and it doesn't mean that your child might not die. Um, the purpose of both of these stories were to point to God, to point to Jesus, and show that He has authority and a power. And sometimes when difficult things happen in our life, and outcomes that we necessarily don't want to happen, it's the purpose of it is for him to get glory. And I want to tell you a, a story to illustrate this. Um, I had a sister who, about five years ago, um, she died. And uh, she had an infection in her heart. And uh, we both grew up in the same Christian family. And I became a Christian at a young age. And she made a profession of faith at a young age, but um, in high school and after graduation, she started living uh, rebelliously, and um, she, she eventually got sick, and, uh, but uh, just a month before, a month or two before she died, she went to this conference uh, called Women of Faith, and there she uh, met Jesus and, and made a proclamation of faith, and 
At the time, she was engaged to a, a nice guy. It was probably the best guy she'd ever dated. Uh, had a good job, real smart financially and everything. And, um, but when she came back from that conference, she broke up with him. And I asked her, I remember asking her, why would you break up with him? He's a nice guy. And she said, she told me, um, he wants the old me. Uh, that person doesn't exist anymore. I'm new. I'm different. And that's the story of the gospel, that Jesus will take your broken life and make it new and make you clean. And I remember I, I got called home because she was sick and um, she had to be raised to the hospital and they were in the emergency room and they're trying to resuscitate her. And I remember laying down on that floor and saying, God, I know you have the power. I know you have the authority to rise, to, you know, to, to heal her, that she won't die. I know your arm is not too short to save but she did. She died. And because of how she lived, she had a lot of friends who didn't know Jesus. And a couple days later, we had a memorial service for her. And I remember driving in, and, and the amount of cars that were in the parking lot just absolutely blew me away. And then I remember walking in the sanctuary, and it being filled with people. And I know so many of those people did not know Jesus. And that service was probably the most God-honoring, a Christ-honoring memorial service I've ever been to. And so even through her death, God used her to preach to more lost people than I ever have. God used that situation in her life and in our lives to proclaim his power and to proclaim his sovereignty and glory. God was most glorified in that. And so the, the Christian life isn't easy. It's not. It was never promised to be. But what's most important is that Jesus has the power and that God will always get the glory. Now, in this, in this story, in the text, uh, this woman was made well and, and this girl was raised from the dead. And then later on, we'll see Lazarus is raised from the dead. And, and in chapter 7, uh, an only son was raised from the dead. Um, well, these people aren't here today. They all died again. There was one person, though, who uh, died but rose again, never to die again, and that person was Jesus. Uh, he was born of the Virgin Mary, as we'll talk about in the next five weeks. He, he was God that became man, and he lived a perfect life. And then he died a bloody and gruesome death on the cross in our place because we couldn't make that sacrifice. And then he was put in a tomb, but three days later, he was raised to new life. And when we place our faith and our trust in him for his work on the cross that we couldn't do, we're saved. And we can walk in new life with him. And so if you don't know Jesus today, uh, cling to him, ask him to, to be your perfect sacrifice. And if you do know Jesus today, persevere. Remember that God will always get the glory and Christ is sovereign over all, even if it doesn't look like it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your power and for your sovereignty. We thank you that you love us and we thank you for your son, Jesus.